DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of seven books published by the Crossroad Publishing Company on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life. Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Father Gallagher. Thanks so much, Chris. We're discussing meditation and contemplation, an Ignatian guide to praying the scripture, and we were left with a, a bit of a cliffhanger from our last segment. Well, we had begun to explore the experience of Catherine, and at this particular time, sets aside several days to make an Ignatian retreat, has felt the desire to pray with the passion and death and resurrection of Jesus in the Gospel of John and chooses to pray in the contemplative uh, Ignatian mode. As we've been saying many times, the meditation is the more reflection mode, uh, reflecting on the meaning of the words, and then the contemplative mode is the more imaginative in which I'm there at the scene. And that's why I think it's worth our while to continue to uh, stay with Catherine and follow her as she makes this prayer, because it says so much about not only uh, Ignatian contemplation, the imaginative approach, but about prayer itself, actually. And she has decided, and this is where we had stopped last time, that she sees Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate and his accusers, and they're um, calling for his death. And Jesus stands there with uh, great calm, very silently. And as Catherine places herself in that scene, and she's there, and she sees this happening, she finds herself wondering, how, how can Jesus possibly be so calm in that situation when they're calling for his imminent death? And as she feels Jesus' calmness, she begins to hear him say, and this is where we ended last time, I began to hear Jesus saying quietly to the crowd, yes, take me, do what you want with me, for my death will be your salvation. And she's hearing in her own words what Jesus said so many times in the gospel, that no one takes my life from me, I lay it down freely, I give my life for my sheep. She's hearing in her own heart, in a deeply personal way, the love with which Jesus freely offers himself for the salvation of his people. And then she hears in her imagination, but you can hear in what she writes, that this is not, in quotes, just her imagination. This is a deeply personal way of hearing deep biblical truths. Give yourself over to them, God told his son. I can never let you go. No matter what happens, I am with you. You are safe in my arms. And she's touching here we've got to just speak with great reverence because she's touching the deepest point in the mystery of who Jesus is, the source of his joy, the deep love between the Father and the Son, of which Jesus says so many times and so simply, the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And she senses the Father saying to Jesus, go forward with this because whatever happens, I am with you and I will keep you safe. Good is going to come of this. There's a meaning and a reason for this. This is within a providence and a, and a love for the salvation of the world. 
After a long period of prayer, she says, I realized that the Father was within me as he was within Jesus. He was also holding me and saying to me, do not be afraid, you are safe in my arms. Now, this is a woman who went into the hospital for a simple outpatient outpatient surgery and suffered a major stroke, which meant memory loss and paralysis, and over 17 years has been struggling to overcome the effects of that unhappy uh, time. And she now, as she watches Jesus safe in the love of the Father, even in that critical moment, she begins to realize that the Father is also within her heart, saying those same words to you. Do not be afraid. I, will, I love you. You will be safe in my arms. Now, I think you can see here something that we said earlier. Whether we pray in the meditative, reflective mode, or in, as Catherine does, in the more imaginative, contemplative mode, both ways of praying are gateways uh, through which God's word enters and touches the heart. Can you, you can see at this point that God's word, as she sees Jesus going through his passion, is speaking very deeply to a deep place in Catherine's own heart and life. And this is what will happen if we, if we try to pray this way. On another day during the retreat, I contemplated Jesus right after Pilate had condemned him to death and washed his hands of the whole affair. I saw Jesus. She's imaginatively present. She's walked into the movie, as it were. She's there. I saw Jesus dragged off by those who wanted him dead. The moment of fear I felt as his final walk through Jerusalem began was excruciating. Again, with great reverence, we can sense that for Catherine now, she is in the scripture. She is in the event. She's, she's sensing, feeling, tasting what it means to be walking toward your death. And she's there with Jesus as he goes through that. I prayed many hours over the days of this retreat, holding that fear in my heart, desiring to comfort Jesus, to tell him I was there for him and that I would not leave him alone. And I, I think, Chris, you can sense something else happening here. As this woman imaginatively enters into, contemplates the scene of Jesus on the way to Calvary, you can sense that a new closeness is building between her and Jesus. Jesus is becoming very, very real for her. Jesus' experience, what stirs in his heart, what he's doing, and she wants to be there. She wants to let him know that she will not leave him alone in a time when he must feel so alone, desiring to comfort him, as she says. Now, if you can imagine praying like this day after day in our daily lives, what's going to happen in our relationship with Jesus? What I'm thinking as I say this is the act of faith that we were taught in uh, in grade school, where we would pray each day for a growth in our faith. And that's what will happen. Uh, Jesus and the scriptures and everything in our faith will become more and more alive in our lives. One day in prayer, I stood beneath the cross. So she's now there at Calvary together with the Lord Jesus and sank to the ground at its foot after he had died. I had told Jesus I would not leave him alone. And so I stayed there keeping watch. I kept the cross before my eyes for hours. Just very unhurriedly being with Jesus in his passion and now the approach of his death. Feeling the sorrow Mary must have felt, which is another beautiful thing. What would it have been like for Mary to stand there? And she shares something of that with Mary. As I asked for the courage to stay near the cross. And now a whole new grace opens up. It's been opening up but it now comes to the fore. It was at this point my retreat director pointed out to me, so she's speaking each day of this retreat with her retreat director about what's happening in her prayer. And as the retreat director listens, he he pointed out to me 
that perhaps God was bringing together Jesus' experience and my own. Jesus' passion, Catherine's own passion of the last 17 years in her life. I began to cry when I returned to prayer. For several hours in prayer, scenes of my hospital stay after my stroke so many years before alternated with scenes of Jesus' passion and death. You can sense the two coming together and the grace of Jesus facing his own passion with such love and strength and safe in his Father's providential love in his life is beginning to enter into Catherine's own experience of passion, the 17 years of struggle, and bring a new blessing into them. It was like watching a movie. My moments of loneliness and fear alternated with Jesus' loneliness and fear. I cried inconsolably for hours, 17 years worth of tears, blessed tears. God truly was embracing me tightly and saying, Do not be afraid even of this, even of a stroke and its consequences. I am holding you tightly and nothing can hurt you. And then she reflects over it and says this, These cleansing tears began a process of healing, a miracle of God's love for me, as I began to pray over my my own, in quotes, passion. As I had stayed with Jesus, he now kept watch with me. The many lonely years of struggling with the consequences of my stroke were healed in this prayer. I began to see that though I had kept myself at a sufficient distance from God to protect myself from anything else God could do to me, and and here too we need to speak with a great reverence, uh, because this can happen in our lives. When we get hurt, we don't want to be hurt again. And something in us can close in some in a certain way. And you can sense in the beauty and the grace of this continued prayer with the passion of Jesus that a certain place that had somewhere some in some way been closed, maybe even without Catherine's own awareness, in her heart has opened. And God's grace is pouring into it. That's what the tears are so so richly expressing. Although I had kept myself at a sufficient distance, etc., God nevertheless had waited until the right moment these days of prayer, to seize me by the arms and turn me toward him. So that's contemplation. If we try to pray with scripture, whether in meditation or contemplation, if we can each day or as close to each day as we're able, in fidelity to the duties of our vocations, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour, more, less, whatever we're able to do, and if we do it day in and day out, there will be days of tiredness and distraction and struggle. But very surely, as happens with Catherine, something will grow through the prayer and a deepening will happen. Faith will come alive and many times places in our hearts that have long waited for the touch of God and the healing of God. And we haven't known how to approach that and seek that. Through this kind of prayer, those places will be opened up and God's grace can enter deeply and transformation and healing can happen in our lives. I think this puts real flesh on that quote from the Second Vatican Council that um, we cited some conversations ago about how the scriptures are our food for the spiritual life and strength for our faith and bless us in so many ways when they are, please God, a daily part of our spiritual lives. Now, at this point, what we've done in the preceding conversations and up till now is to try to get a feel for the basic intuition behind these two methods of praying with scripture. And we've said it many times, reflection, the meditative mode, and through the imagination, the contemplative mode. 
And if we've got that, we've already got the basic core of the whole teaching because most of, if we're praying, for example, half an hour, um, most of the, with the exception of a few minutes probably to enter into the prayer and a few concluding minutes perhaps, that's what we're going to be doing for most of the time in prayer, entering either reflectively or imaginatively or perhaps some mix of the two into the scriptural text. And that's why I've started with this because we've now seen the central truth about Ignatius' teaching on how to pray with Scripture, which in general, like St. Ignatius' teaching, once we see it, it's very simple. You almost say, well, yes, that's obvious. But we need someone like St. Ignatius to help us see it. And so that once we've seen it, we know that we're on very solid ground in our Catholic spiritual tradition. Having done that, now we face another question, which has a lot to say with whether prayer will will open up for us more easily or continue to be more difficult. And that is, how do I begin praying when the time for the prayer has come? So I set aside 20 minutes alone in my room in the morning or in the mid-afternoon, which is my quiet time or the evening, or I get to the church in time to have some quiet time for prayer before the daily mass, or I stay afterward to do that. When I'm now in my room before the Blessed Sacrament, ready to pray, how do I begin? And a lot hangs on this question in our prayer. You know that feeling that we, probably more than we wish, experience when we come to the time of prayer. We have the time, we know how we plan to use the time in prayer, but it just feels like it's a struggle to get started. Somehow I just can't get into the prayer. I can't seem to get started. Do you know that feeling? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I experience it often. Well, we all have. And this is the issue that St. Ignatius is addressing at this point in his teaching. To use a parallel in human experience, if two friends decide to get together and have coffee or uh, just sit together in any place in conversation for an hour, the conversation will not start at the deep point of communication between the, the two as a rule. It might sometimes, but more, more often, more generally, there are initial minutes in which the two friends greet each other with whatever physical gesture is appropriate to the relationship, handshake or, an, or a hug, whatever it might be. Get themselves settled. If they have coats to take off, they get those settled. Get seated. And probably the first things that they say to each other are not all that profound. Oh, did you get my message? So you were able to make it all right. The traffic wasn't too bad. Uh, did you hear that this happened at the office? Or whatever the, those things might be. What's really happening through that is that the two friends are settling themselves to enter into relationship in the conversation which will follow. If the conversation never got any deeper than those initial things, probably the two friends wouldn't get together too often, I would imagine. But if the two friends did not have those first minutes to get settled, to encounter each other, to begin to be able to focus their mutual attention toward each other, probably they wouldn't get, or with much more difficulty, would get to the deeper sharing which might take place later in the course of the hour that they'll spend together. I think the parallel is obvious uh, once we say that, because we've said before, and I don't think can repeat too often, that prayer most fundamentally is a relationship. It's two persons meeting each other, two persons sharing with each other. In the case of prayer, it's the human person and the divine. So the encounter takes place in faith. As Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. But it is truly an encounter of two persons, which means that if we desire to enter into 
a deeper sharing of our hearts with God's heart in the course of the time we have for prayer, we will be greatly blessed if we attend to the first moments of the prayer and how we live those and use those wisely in such a way that those minutes are gently, wisely, warmly, effectively guiding our hearts toward the deeper sharing that will follow in the course of the prayer. We'll return to Praying with Scripture with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A prayer for the intercession of Venerable Bruno Lanteri. O Father, fountain of all life and holiness, You gave Father Bruno Lanteri great faith in Christ, your Son, a lively hope, and an act of love for the salvation of his brethren. You made him a prophet of your word and a witness to your mercy. He had a tender love for Mary, and by his very life he taught fidelity to the Church. Father, hear the prayer of your family, and through the intercession of Father Lanteri, grant us the grace for which we now ask. May he be glorified on earth that we may give you greater praise. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, Or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Praying with Scripture with Father Timothy Gallagher. Now, this is the way St. Ignatius codified, as it were, his own practice in offering it to others in the spiritual exercises. And this is what he writes. A step or two before the place where I am about to contemplate or meditate, so you can sense the threshold quality of this. I'm just about to enter into the place 
and the time of prayer. I will stand for the space of an Our Father. This is the way Ignatius would indicate short units of time. An Our Father or a Hail Mary, they didn't have watches in those days. So it was a way of indicating whatever half a minute, a little bit less, whatever it takes to, to say an Our Father. I will stand for the space of an Our Father with my understanding raised on high, with my heart and my mind and my whole inner awareness lifted up toward God, he says, with my understanding raised on high, considering how God our Lord looks upon me, which is a powerful thing. And that is, his counsel would be, as I am in my room about to begin my prayer with Scripture, or sitting before the Blessed Sacrament about to begin, before I turn to the Scripture, I take the amount of time it would take to say in Our Father, half minute, whatever it would be, and I simply lift my whole heart, mind, my whole inner being up in awareness of the fact that God is here. God is with me. And if you notice, Ignatius doesn't even say, I will consider that God our Lord looks upon me. It's almost as though he takes that for granted in faith. I, I will consider how God our Lord looks upon me. What do I see in the eyes of God? As I lift up my whole being toward the Lord, and become aware that God is with me and looking upon me. And that's what I consider for the space of time it would take to say in Our Father. Now, as we'll see very quickly, for St. Ignatius, there's really only one answer to that question, what do I see in the eyes of God as he looks upon me? I, I see an infinite, deeply personal, faithful love that awaits me, that longs to be in conversation with me, that is eager to be with me. Desirous, Ignatius says, more of pouring out his, he is more desirous of pouring out his gifts upon me than I could ever even be of receiving them. That's what I see when I look in the eyes of God. Now, this touches something that is fundamental for prayer. Let's imagine a room which is empty, except for two chairs. And the two chairs are placed maybe eight to ten feet apart, and both chairs are facing in the same direction. And there is a person sitting in each of the two chairs. Obviously, in, in this format, one person sees the back of the person who is seated in the chair before him, and the other person simply sees the walls and the rest of the room, but has no eye contact with the person seated behind him. Now, we can say that those two persons are in relationship in some very broad sense, I suppose you could say. They're together in the same room. There's a certain physical proximity. But I think we would easily also want to say that it's a very it's a very tenuous, it's a very thin relationship. There's nothing very deep, obviously, about, about that particular relationship. Everything changes when the person who is in the chair that is to the to the fore turns that chair around and now their eyes meet. And now a whole new relationship begins. And that's what Ignatius is counseling us to do as the richest way to enter into prayer when we want to pray with Scripture. For the space of time that it would take to say in our Father, I will consider how God our Lord is looking upon me. There's one Jesuit who wrote an article on this teaching of St. Ignatius, and this is the title of his article, Looking at God, comma, Looking at You. Looking at God, comma, looking at you, or to fill out the title, looking at God who is looking at you. And that's the way we would begin the prayer. 
as it were, with our, our, our hearts and our minds so easily distracted and caught in a thousand different considerations, we stop the space of time it would take to say in our Father, and we consciously lift our spiritual eyes toward God to see the gaze with which he looks upon us. I think you can see, Chris, how immediately prayer then becomes relationship. It, it immediately enters its truest space when one person meets another. And when we begin prayer this way, when we begin to read the scripture and reflect or on it or imagine ourselves in the scene, it's no longer going to be one person with a written page. But the written page is only the way that God has chosen to convey to us the words he wants to speak to our heart. The prayer becomes, becomes relationship. Now, let's go back to that question of how do I know what I see in the eyes of God as he looks upon me? And, and I speak with a very great reverence here, too, because I know this can touch very deep places in our hearts. For two people in a given relationship, it may not be always an easy thing for, as it were, to turn the chair so that we are now deeply present to each other. That will touch everything that's there in the relationship. And the same is true also of our prayer. So what do I see in the eyes of God as I turn my gaze toward him? How do I know? And we read in the scriptures, John says, for example, in his first chapter, that no one has ever seen God. How do we know? And we know this in the way that we know anything at all about God. And that is through the word made flesh, God become man of whom John says in his first letter, and we saw, and we touched, and we heard. And that's how we know. So that we can rephrase that question, how do I, how do I know what I see in the eyes of God when he looks upon me? And we could ask, what do those in the gospel see when they turn toward Jesus and their eyes meet his? What do they see in his eyes? What, for example, does Nathaniel in John chapter 1 see when he looks up and Jesus is there before him and he marvels that Jesus knows him so deeply and that look changes the whole course of his life? Or Levi, the tax collector who is at his tax collector's bench, most likely, as was frequently the case uh, with those who um, were the tax collectors under the Roman occupation in, the, in Palestine, Probably not everything right with his life. And this man looks up, and the gospel simply tells us that Jesus sees him. And from that comes the call that remakes his entire life. Or the, the widow of Nain, when Jesus is passing by the city, and they're bringing out her son who has died, and Jesus sees her in tears. And that look leads to new life for her son and the restoration of joy. There is one gospel text that I often use myself during this space of time that it would take to say in our Father and so on. And that's in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus sees this man before him. And the gospel simply tells us, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And that sets me free to pray in, in a whole new way. If I uh, am ever discussing this teaching of St. Ignatius with a group and we have the time and the setting is right. What I like to invite people to do at this point, and any one of us could do this in our own personal setting, would be to take about five minutes to pray. 
and choose a person in the gospel and just spend five minutes, maybe even take reverently the place of that person in the gospel and see what he saw, what she saw in the eyes of Jesus. In uh, several of the movies of the life of Jesus, some of the recent ones, the scene of the, the woman caught in adultery, or else um, the woman in Luke chapter 7 who walks into the house of the Pharisee. Both of these scenes, you'll see the moment come when the woman whose life is so broken and is so rejected and judged and, and scorned even by those who see her, in one case they want to put her to death, begins to realize that Jesus is not condemning. And thinking of the movie of the Passion of the Christ, where it's the woman caught in adultery, when you see her dare to lift up her eyes when they've all left, and her eyes and Jesus meet, and he says to, says to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, and neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What did she see in the eyes of Jesus? And what if, as I began my prayer, I were to take, if only the space of time it says it takes to say in our Father, like her, to look into the eyes of Jesus? You, I cannot imagine a richer way to enter into prayer than this first council of St. Ignatius. You could sum all of this up in a single sentence from the writings of St. John of the Cross who says, the look of God is love and the pouring out of gifts. The look of God is love and the pouring out of gifts. I, I would say in, in bringing together all that we've said now about this threshold moment, crossing the threshold into the beginning of the prayer, that uh, I would just invite all of us to try it. Uh, if it's new to us, um, try this when we begin a time of personal prayer, it's something we can even renew from time to time over the course of the prayer if we wish. And I think we will see that this will bring a real blessing into our prayer. Everything you've given us today is so much to ponder in our own contemplation. We just thank you so much, Father Gallagher. It's my privilege, Chris. You've been listening to Praying with Scripture. Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will First, pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our mission. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Praying with Scripture, Christian Contemplation and Meditation in the Ignatian Tradition with Father Timothy Gallagher.